Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who recently registered the domain will suck donkeys for mafia3.com, Mr. Lord Bob Garden, Lauren! <laughs> Uh, uh, what's up, Brent? I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and laugh on air because I can only assume that anyone listening is also laughing. What's What's up, man? How are you? You like that mafia game? I know you do. Uh, I do like that mafia game. I'm not sure to what degree. I'm I, I'm speculating, but I'm guessing like- that you like it a lot. I do like it a lot. If I'm you're going to perform an illegal act with a donkey, then uh, you must really like that game. Well, legality is relative. It is. <laughs> God, if only that were true. Uh, well, welcome back, everybody. It's uh, great to be here. I think that we need to start the show right now by letting you know we won't be here next week. Um, sad news. <laughs> uh, I know. Wah, wah. But uh, I know if I don't say it at the top of the show, if I wait till the end, many of you will have uh, have stopped listening before I get it out. And so I want to say it now so that there's no confusion or or worry or anything like that. So anyway, no no show next week. Nothing dire. I'm just going to be out of town on vacation with the family and uh, not hanging out with you guys. Uh, and I'd love to tell you, I'd rather be hanging out with you guys, but the truth is I'd rather be on vacation. So anyway, that's not uh, that's not to disparage you, understand. That's just that uh, I really, really want a vacation. So anyway, please uh, understand and uh, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. And I don't know. You I mean you might see Lauren. I mean, L- you know, Lauren can do something without me. It's okay. He's a big boy. I mean, That's actually not true. I cannot do anything without you. Let's go ahead and start the garage with the with the discussion topic <laughs> that people have been waiting on for at least six weeks now, or something. At long last, it's been a while. Is the point? And we're finally going to talk about Kung Fury. The only problem with this discussion is that I think it's going to be relatively short. I think it's going to be me saying it's fucking awesome and Lauren saying I agree and then us trying to figure out what else to say. So, Lauren, I think it's fucking awesome. You know, Brent, it's interesting because I've been waiting to talk about this for a while and there's so much to say. And I think I can sum it up all Mm. by saying I agree. That's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, Just so you guys get a little bit of your money's worth from this discussion... Let's talk just a little bit about why Kung Fury is so awesome. Number one, David Hasselhoff. Uh, yeah, it's it's got the Hoff. And <laughs> it's got the Hoff. I I don't know. Like you may walk through life thinking that you need something more awesome in your life than David Hasselschmoff, but I'm here to tell you that you're wrong because there is nothing more awesome than David Hasselschmoff. Um, but yeah, certainly the Hoff's involvement in Kung Fury is only one of the things that has led to it being such a dominant force of epic and, and brutal uh, awesomeness in the universe. But hyperbole aside, the thing about Kung Fury that I think is so remarkable, it, it would be easy to write this off as, as satire and parody of the 80s, and, um, and, and it is in a way, but the thing is, it's really... It's really a love letter. Like, there's nothing like really mean spirited about what it has to say about the '80s, which um, is is kind of cool. And the uh, 
the, just the the whole story about you know this thing coming about through this remarkable Kickstarter that they were able to raise this ridiculous amount of money to put this together. The very humble beginnings from which uh, Kung Fury began, and the amazing work that that the film represents in terms of visual effects and and what can you know really be done with an end to end digital process. And now I mean they they've got I I don't remember what what the what the view count was the last time. Uh, but they've got like the eyes of the entire world on them because they just had this insane idea. And, uh, and I, I just, everything about Kung Fury makes me happy from the act, like just like the awesome stuff going on in the film. Uh, the fact that they have some, it's like 17 and a half million views, by the way, for those counting. Yes, I, the fact the fact that the name of the company is Laser Unicorn. I mean, come on, what else are you going to do? But anyway, I just my I wife my wife sat the <laughs> sat and watched through this through with me, Brent, and I, I swear to God, over the next couple of days, she must have made me play the fight between <laughs> the Tyrannosaurus Rex yep. and the eagle. Uh, I I don't I don't know how many times, and the the, the meme the gift that's going around of the little tiny claws like trying to claw at each other. <laughs> It, it, just, it just makes me smile every single goddamn because time. How, like, how has nobody done a Tyrannosaurus Rex fight where he's just kind of, you know, batting his tiny little arms? <laughs> how has nobody done that before now? I know. Uh, it is, it's brilliant. It is the, um, it is the it is cinematic equivalent of Blood Dragon. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. In that, in that context, like in that, in, 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 as you said, Brent, like it being a true love letter to the 80s, although I think they, they were even able to take it a step further. Just because of the uh, immediate visual comparisons to what we saw in the eighties, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. it was it was just it was brilliant on every level. A lot and of I, neon, a lot of smoke, a lot of that's correct. Yeah. Slow mo, um, amazing martial arts. I was really really impressed with the visual effects. Uh, I, I was not. Be. I was not expecting such a high production value. Well, uh, and the thing that's kind of neat about it is how at some points the visual effects are quite kitschy. And at some point, they're very they're, like they're really seamless, like like that that shot that you know where you where you first meet Thor, and he kind of you know drops into that 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 big fjord, I guess that big lake or whatever. Yes, you know, like the the work in that shot is really really good. By contrast to like the time travel visual effects, which are really really kitschy, like really in the style yeah. of what yeah. visual effects in the eighties would have been. And like I dig that. Like I always thought. Um, if I were going to, okay, let's just say that, you know, in some alternate universe, I got to direct a Ready Player One film. I always thought Ready Player One would have been really kind of cool if the visual effects in the movie looked like 80s visual effects. Because, like, everybody's obsession with the 80s and, and getting, like, 80s shit, like, really legit would have led them to code, like, their laser blast effects and things like that to look like laser blasts in movies did in the 80s. And Kung Fury kind of does that in a way. Yeah, it, it's it's really incredible, Brent. And, and, you know, I'm curious to know, you know, we have a lot of listeners that uh, were probably born after the 80s mm. um, or <laughs> and, during the 80s. And you are so lucky. <laughs> and during the you. 80s and didn't experience them. Yeah. And I'm curious how that plays for them if they enjoy it, uh, if they enjoyed if they've enjoyed it as much. I'd like to hear about that from those listeners yeah. uh, in the in the show comments. But. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, uh, you're right, Brent, that there's, I, I think <clears throat> it's been challenging to stretch the discussion this far because really, uh, short of, I mean, I mean short of, you, it's worth your time to watch it. It's something yeah. like, it's 28 minutes long it's thir- or something I think like it's that. 31. I think it's like 31, 31. minutes and change. 
And it's excellent. The bottom line is, it's just it's worth your time. There's nothing about it I don't like. You should just go watch it at this point. Again, this is another one of those things that is 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 it of such a level of quality above this very podcast that <laughs> I would just stop listening right now. <laughs> That's right. And go watch Kung Fury. We wouldn't blame you. the 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 <laughs> last thing that I kind of want to say about this is when you consider the influence, uh, or when you consider the the factors in Kung Fury. Which you've got, you've got uh, dinosaurs, Hitler, the '80s, mass destruction, Nazi robots. It's difficult to watch Kung Fury and not think about Danger Five. There are things that like happened in Kung Fury that even now I'm thinking about. And I'm like, wait, was that was that Danger Five or Kung Fury? But there's some remarkable there's some remarkable parallels going on between uh, between those two things. Uh, that 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 was also something that I kind of got a chuckle at. It's like, wow, like you know, they're really they're really playing in in the same sandbox. Fair enough. Now, I I, I would I would maybe uh, throw in a bone of contention, which is hard to watch it and not think of Danger Five if you've never seen Danger Five. Uh, I I disagree. I think that even if you've never seen Danger Five, I think you can't help but think about it. I think it. you can't help but think about Danger Five if. If nothing else, because of the universal unconscious or one—I don't know—one one of those made-up things. That <laughs> That's exactly right. No, blame. seriously though, guys, just just go watch it right now. All right, um, all right, Brad, let's move on to some actual video games. Yes, and something else that you should definitely just go watch is the Uncharted Four Extended E3 gameplay, which is coming up on July first on Twitch. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's really Wednesday. No, there's really nothing else to this story. It's like it's Wednesday at 11 a.m in one of the time zones. Uh, yeah. So if you guys remember, they showed at E3, they showed a, a like a seven minute demo. That was awesome. And, but then uh, there was and, more after it. Yeah. And there was more after we talked about this a little bit last week, that there was another like 10 minutes or so that they showed to the, uh, the show behind closed doors to the press and, and, and everybody, I mean, go look it up. You can go look it up. Everybody in the press came out of this demo and, and said they were, they were just absolutely floored. It was unlike anything they had ever seen. And, and, I felt about that good about the seven minutes they did show. Yeah, I know. Uh, so that was my they have, as well. Yeah. So I, I cannot. I didn't think we would get to see this this soon. I mean, I obviously, eventually, we'd get to see it, mm. but I didn't think we'd get to see it this soon. And so I am very, very excited, Brent. On Wednesday, as you said, eleven a.m. Eastern is Pacific. That right? It's eleven a.m. Pacific. So uh, three p.m. for <laughs> two p.m. I can't. I haven't been back long. <laughs> Two p.m. Eastern time, eleven p.m. eleven a.m. Pacific. Check out uh, this. I'm sure we will be talking about it not next week, but when we return in two weeks. But Brent, I could not be more excited than to see this. I'm right there with you. I, I, I've kind of stayed away from. Other than hearing people talk about the demo, I didn't really dig too deep to find out what it was that they saw. Just that I, I saw people describe it as a game changer. And I was really intrigued by it, but I guess I kind of had faith in Naughty Dog, and I said, you know what? They'll they'll reveal this in all in good time, and when they're ready to show that to me, I'll check it out. It turned out I did not have to wait as long as I thought. Like I really figured it would be something we'd see towards the bottom end of the year, like maybe games Gamescom or something like that. You know? Yep, I agree. I'm very very happy that they've decided to show it. I am too. I'm, I'm very curious. I, I really want to know. What it is that the press saw that had so many people losing their shit. Um, so anyway, another thing I'm very excited about, Brent, is uh, a story that broke just today. Mm. 
that honestly I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought a lot about lately. Uh, this game, Mafia Two, uh, Mafia, the Mafia series, Mafia Two uh, was a game that I really really liked. Yeah. Uh, and today, a news story broke that Take Two has begun to register domain names. Uh, under the Mafia 3 moniker. Yeah, they, they registered several variants of Mafia3thegame.com. And uh, these, this were caught by a NeoGAF user. And I, let's be honest with ourselves. Anything that happens in the world today, somebody on NeoGAF is going to find out first. Like, they are your first line of defense in the war on... Actually, I'm not, I'm not really sure that analogy is going to play out. So <laughs> let me stop there. The point is, NeoGAF knows before you know. And NeoGAF user, whoever, found out today that Take-Two had registered these domains, and then they were promptly transferred to a proxy registrant, as is uh, often the case in these matters. Now, the, the, I guess the notable thing, and I say notable just because there's not a lot to talk about with this story, so we're really just filling airtime here, if I'm honest with you. But that's not, one notable that's thing... Not that I will also say here is that it is not the same proxy service that some of the Gearbox titles have been registered through, which may or may not be significant given the fact that it's not the same developer working on Mafia 3, obviously the same publisher in Take-Two. But anyway, so I guess take it with a grain of salt until there's an official announcement, which as of right now, Take-Two has not made any statement on it. That may change by the time this gets released, but that's where we sit as of right now, were you excited to see this, Brent? I mean, I remember you and I had, uh, you know, had gotten to do interact with Mafia Two when we were at E Three. Yeah, I really, really liked the game. I never really finished the game. Yeah, not, not for lack of liking so much. Well, I mean, I don't remember now because it has been a few years. I don't remember disliking the game. I just don't. I you know for whatever reason, like it just didn't pull me in. And yeah, I don't think you I liked it, it quite as much as I did. Yeah, I don't think I got into it quite as much, but. Um, I, you know, I don't know, like I've, I own the game. Like I got it on PC during one of the steam summer sales. And it's one of those things that I often look at in my library and think, ah, I ought to, I ought to install that and, and finish it. And maybe I will, because I, I was reasonably excited to see this announcement. I thought, well, that's good. I, I, I dig a lot of the things about mafia too. I like the idea of the game and if they're going to continue it, that's great. I would recommend checking it out, Brent, because I think it's a game. I haven't played it recently, but I did play it. I don't know, maybe a year ago or so I pulled it up. Yeah. And I actually think it holds up fairly well because uh, because it is the theme is so strong in it and so yeah. the, and the art direction. And so I, I think it might be worth your time uh, to check it out, especially maybe as you get closer when we learn about Mafia 3. It might be meaningful. I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's get to the let's get to the real news. <laughs> yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's talk about something. Important. Needless to say, I thought of you when I heard this. Brent. I can't imagine why. As you are no doubt aware, one of the th- one of the things that I was looking for at E3 and that we didn't get was some update on the Visceral Games Star Wars title that is in development right now that Amy Hennig of the Uncharted series is working on. And we didn't really get anything about it at E3. But interestingly enough, recently at a panel, Amy Hennig's good friend and, of course, Uncharted star Nolan North was asked about the transition after Amy Hennig left Naughty Dog. And he talked about that, but then went on to say that if you're really excited about Amy Hennig's work, then, you know, she's working on this Star Wars game with Visceral, and it's going to be done in the style of Uncharted. 
Now, <laughs> let's just breathe, take breathe. let's just take a second <laughs> and just waft in the fragrance of that for a moment. And if you need to take a second, get your pants off. That's fine too. I'll wait for you. This was an interesting. I watched this video, Brent. Thanks to one of our listeners uh, who posted on the website, and it was very interesting. He talked about so not only did he talk about this, but he actually started off by saying that the question was. Um, you know, with Amy Hennig having left the production of Uncharted 4, did the script change? Yeah. Uh, and his response was, I can't talk about it too much, but I'm going to anyway. Yeah. And he said that they were eight months into shooting uh, for Uncharted 4 when Amy Hennig left and they scrapped it all. That's incredible. And started over, which is pretty amazing, yeah. uh, especially when you have stuff that is the quality of the work that Amy Hennig does and has done on uh, Uncharted but the last, the last of Us crew came in and sort of took over, uh, and they sort of started over, and that, that's where that started. And then he moved into, as you said, this, this uh, if you like Amy, then how would you like some, some Star Wars Uncharted style? I'd like it a lot, Nolan, and thank you, <laughs> and thank you. And I have to wonder, these stories are all over the, the media today, and I have to wonder if maybe some phone calls aren't being made to Nolan North. Uh, about discussing this? I, I would be curious to know myself because because here's what that leads me to. Somebody asks something about, does it have anything to do with the the infamous now canceled 1313 project that yes. LucasArts was working on prior to <laughs> prior to there being no LucasArts? And, uh, and of course, we now know that uh, 1313 was going to focus on Boba Fett. And um, anyway, the point is, that what Nolan North said was really kind of interesting. He 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 said yes, it's going to be in that it's going to be in that style. He didn't exactly elaborate as to like is it going to be in that time frame? Is it going to focus on bounty hunter? You know, or like, you know what the what exactly that means. But he did he did say that it it did share some similarities with thirteen thirteen. He also revealed that he did the original mocap tests for that Star Wars thirteen thirteen footage that we saw. And he also said that he happens to know a lot about the Star Wars game. And that is the point that I'd kind of like to talk about for just one second, because what I want to know is, is Nolan, is Nolan North working on this game? Is he, is he acting in it? Is he involved in this game? Because if so, how the hell is he getting away with talking about it? My guess is no. I mean, the way he said that, it sounded like, you know, he, me- he mentioned that he and Amy are friends. Yeah. Uh, and it sounded like I know a lot of, you know, he kind of said, I like, I know a lot about it. And I, I get the sense that like, I don't know. I just, I think if he was working on it, he probably wouldn't be saying that's that. kind of, that was exactly what I thought too. Like there's, well, there's no way he's working on this. Cause you know, they, they I mean, they'd have his ass, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, honestly, do you, that, that doesn't matter one way or the other, right? Whether it or not doesn't, although I have to admit it would be really awesome. If if Nolan North was in a uh, Star Wars game, that'd be pretty cool. What am I I'm saying? I'm sure Nolan North has. He's, he was in. He was in fucking Swotor. He played like three characters. What am I saying? I'm curious to know what when he says a Star Wars game that's uh, in the style of Uncharted. I'm curious to know what part of that style to which part yeah. of that style he is referring. Does he mean is he referring play, to the adventure right, kind of right? The, exactly. Vibe. The gameplay is it the the more linear aspect? Is yeah. it the sort of uh, lighthearted bantering back and forth between? Uh, uh, you know, partners is I'm curious to know like what specifically 
uh, kind of relates to Uncharted. And now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very excited for Star Wars Battlefront. It's not even out for several months. Yeah. And now I'm really excited to learn more about what this Amy Hennig game is. I, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's one of those things that, like, thinking about the game just gets me so excited for for all the potential that it represents. I, uh, I, I, I kind of dare not let myself get, I dare not let my expectations get too high for fear that the game will never meet them. But man, it's 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 really difficult to not just lose your cookies over the thought of uh, of what they might be putting together over at Visceral. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And for the record, I will suck a donkey to to get this game. I, I, there is no shame in it. I don't care about the legality. You bring me the burrow, and I will show you what I'm willing to do to get a fucking Amy Hennig Star Wars game. I don't care. I, I, Don't can't, I can't decide if I should be laughing or throwing up a little bit by now. <laughs> All right, we are back in the clubhouse. And before we get into our topic of the week, uh, which is going to be an interesting one, Brent, we had a poll last week, did we not? Uh, we usually do have a poll, and last week was no exception. So the answer to your question is yes. Excellent. Let's move on. Um, no, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you tell us the results of the poll? Yeah. Last so week, uh, last week, you know, we were wrapping up our coverage of E3, and we asked you all, now that it's over, how would you rate this year's E3 conference? This is overall. This is not talking about any any specific thing, but just the overall feel. And here is how the votes shook out. In last place with five percent, you said it was pretty much what I expected, which is bad. 6% of you said disappointed, one of the weaker conferences in recent memory. 28% of you phoned in for the second place answer, which was it was pretty much what I expected, which is good. But the overwhelming majority of the outlaw gamer audience voted great, the best E3 in a long time. 62% of you thought this year's E3 was uh, something a little bit special. And, and I have to agree, it was, it was pretty exciting. You know, Brent, I think looking back on it, one of the things that made it so interesting was that there was, relatively speaking, I feel like there was less kind of bullshit fanfare mm. and more information and more like an, uh, information about interesting IPs. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think a common theme from a lot of people, which is true for me, too, is, is I would like to see more new IPs yeah. uh, just in general. Uh, I think a lot of people were drawn to the newer IPs. Um, in particular, but uh, but there seemed to be kind of a, a little bit less sort of bullshit and hard and you know like weird hardware announcement. I don't know. It just seemed it seemed like there was more about the games this year, and it seemed like there were some actual surprises this year too. There, yep. there were some actual things that we went into the conference not knowing about ahead of time, and that was kind of cool. It was indeed. All right, so. Wow. Speaking of going into things and not knowing, <laughs> uh, this is going to be so we're going to talk now, as you guys can imagine, about the uh, debacle that is the, pa the Batman Arkham Knight uh, PC release. Uh, there will be uh, so we're going to talk about the game itself. I've been playing it. I'm going to talk about it when we hit the road. There will be no spoilers uh, anywhere in the podcast this week. Um, not even small ones. And if there are, uh, we will edit them out. We won't allow even the smallest spoilers to get through for you guys. Uh, and so, uh, but we're going to talk about 
what happened this past week when Batman Arkham Knight was released on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Mostly uh, PS4, PC. Mostly PC. PS4 and Xbox One releases were done by Rocksteady. The PC release was, in fact, not done by Rocksteady. And it shows. Was, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, it was actually handled uh, by, uh, apparently, the Greek government. I'm not sure. But... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, there are some funny videos that out there. Some of the Hitler funny. videos. Uh, uh, re, re, yeah, Hitler uh, reacts to reacts to uh, the Arkham Knight release. Yeah. So, Arkham Knight was released this week on the PC. Uh, it was a debacle from a technical standpoint. There's tons of uh, issues with the game. It is essentially unplayable. It, it was the frame rate was capped at 30. The the PC options were ridiculous for many people, especially AMD. Uh, users, it was it was uh, unplayable to the point of ten frames per second kind of thing, uh, and it, it got so bad that uh, in a in a move that I believe is unprecedented, right, Brent? I don't I'm, think I've ever. I'm not aware, uh, I, and I've not read, and I've been reading, but I have yet to read anybody who's come up with a previous example of a PC title being pulled post release over technical foibles, and certainly not uh, at this level. No, um, no, not uh, so. Not yeah, so ultimately, release like this. Ultimately, Arkham Knight was pulled from uh, PC sales from uh, Steam. I think from all GOG. major retailers. Right. Yeah, the the PC version of the game was pulled, and they are retooling the game now. If you, of course, if you purchase the game and had it on digital download, you can still play it. I will tell you that uh, both Brent and I have the PC version. Uh, it was gifted to us from one of our listeners, and thank you for that. Yes, indeed. Um, and I, uh, Brent has not, you've not been playing it. No, I have it installed. I installed it the day it came out. And then as we started hearing that day about all of the trouble and everything, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to play it yet. I'll wait. I'll wait a little while and see if they get this fixed. And then as things wore on, we found out it was not going to be such an easy fix. I kind of resigned myself, even though I am somewhat curious I kind of resign myself to just wait, however long it takes. I mean, if it's a month or three for them to get this game fixed, I'll wait until it is fixed before I play it because I had such a terrible experience initially with uh, Arkham Origins, and I just I don't want to do that to myself again. I've got good games I can be playing, like The Witcher Three. I just don't need to. I don't need to introduce frustration into my gaming habit at the moment. Well, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, Brent, because you and I have similar setups uh, on the yeah. PC. I'm not sure what your processor is, but... Um, I've got a, uh, an i5 2500. 2500, so you may, may run into yeah. some issues. I've got an i5 4570, I think. But um, the So I've been playing the game. I played about 10 hours of it, and again, I'll talk about the game itself uh, in the next section. But uh, I've had a very little, a very few technical issues, honestly. I've been able to play it um, at thir- now, granted, I've been playing at 30 FPS. Granted, it, I don't have ambient occlusion because uh, the game doesn't have that as an option. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe there's no. It's not so much that you don't have. <laughs> right. Ambient I mean, solution. I think the anti-aliasing choices are yes or no. Um, right. So uh, I don't have you know 16 times WSFXFAA turned on. Um, yeah. What I do have, however, is all the NVIDIA stuff turned on, all the uh, rain beating off of his uh, uh, cape, the smoke physics, the whatever. Right. So what, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but and this isn't this isn't terribly 
uh, relevant to the discussion, but weren't the the rain and smoke effects? Wasn't that something that just got enabled by that uh, that first little mini patch? No, no, no. Out? That was that was in the game. Uh, okay. And uh, now I don't know if it got tweaked or not, but but it was in the game, and and uh, mostly I could run the game. I could maxed out, which is again is to say thirty FPS with. Uh, Without, again, ambient inclusion and many other things. So <clears throat> I've been able to play the game without a ton of frame rate issues, although I have noticed that it, it chugs a, just a little bit, enough that it makes the game not particularly technically impressive, uh, which is mm. something that you are hearing on the PS4, is that the game is very technically impressive. You're hearing things mm. like uh, the most beautiful game of our generation, uh, of this generation, excuse me, um, uh, an amazing use of the PS4. I do not have this feeling playing on the PC. And so I do kind of think now that, like, prior to all the stuff coming out, I thought, it, it plays well, it's okay. But the more and more I watch it, the more I realize it's just a just a fraction of a second off. So, but I am playing it. I've played about 10 hours. And so, um, boy, there's so many issues here, Brent, um, that, that we need to touch on. We need, I mean, I think that, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, again, pre-ordering. I, I can't uh, help but think we're going to talk a little bit about that. Many, many of the uh, outlaws have brought it up. We're going to have to talk about um, the we're state. talk about Steam, Steam refunds. refunds. Uh, it plays a huge part in this. Uh, the state of, yeah. of gaming in general. Uh, yeah. Well, let's just, uh, let's just grab a fork and kind of dive in. I, I, think, I think the first thing that I would say is if, if, nothing, if nothing has yet convinced you, and, and I, maybe this only applies to PC gamers, because you know, if you're on PS4, it sounds like you're getting a great experience. And that, that's, that's great. I, I am, I'm very, very happy for you. But if nothing else can convince you that we got to stop pre-ordering games, this is, I mean, like this has to be like that U-turn moment or whatever. Um, I read an article. I'm actually searching for it right now in my RSS reader to see if I can find this. But I read a, an article very recently that I, I want to say was on Kotaku. Uh, I, I don't recall. I don't recall who the author was. But in any case, the point of the article was simply a it, it was simply a plead with the the gaming masses to stop pre-ordering games and it talked about sort of the history of pre-ordering and how at one time pre-ordering really made sense when you were talking about physical releases of titles that were going to be limited in quantities and if you wanted to secure yours it really made sense to to pre-order it but the, that time has passed now number 1 if you're on the PC it's almost totally digital uh, distribution, digital distribution is rapidly making inroads into the consoles, and the market has gotten so much more sophisticated about predicting how many physical copies they need. The chances of you not being able to find one are far less today than they were 10 or 15 years ago. There's just no, there's no benefit to pre-ordering anymore. The only thing that pre-orders really give you now is exclusive content. That's like the only real benefit from it. Everything else is just sort of the hype and your excitement level. It's like, oh, like I, I, I'm so excited about this game, and I want to see it in my library. <laughs> that's right. The, the industry almost creates this this need within you to like prove how much you're excited about the game by pre-ordering it, and you have to you have to resist this. And as far as the pre-order of you know like the bonus pre-order content that they're giving you, I, yes, I, I mean I think you should give it up. I don't think that piddly content is worth what 
is happening to gaming as a result of basically guaranteeing them a sale before you know whether or not the product is sound. And I, I think that that's a very applicable point in this whole Arkham Knight discussion. If I can find that article again, I will post it. Uh, but it was a um, it was a really really good well, read, and and I found myself in complete agreement. Almost, you know, out. another thing, Brent. You talk about the time of pre-ordering having passed, uh, and you talk about it in the context of, uh, you know, previously one of the big reasons you might pre-order was because you you want to secure a physical copy. Uh, I would add to that perhaps that the time of pre-ordering has passed uh, for a different reason, and that is historically, I think until the last couple of years or maybe few years, um, when you pre-ordered a game, for the most part, you could count on that game working. Um, that doesn't mean it, that right. there were not instances of it not happening, and certainly with Battlefield 3, which was a, f- a few years ago, that wasn't the case. Um, but for the most part, you could count on games working when they were released, and therefore, yeah. it didn't make pre-ordering um, uh, inher- a, a inherently uh, like a, a poor choice, uh, or, right. or a, a, not not a, a gamble in which the the odds are at this point. I would say, Brent, significantly stacked against you. I mean, I feel like at this point, the gaming landscape has shifted dramatically from what it was five years ago. That if you looked at the percentage of games, percentage of of high profile games that are released in a poor technical or unfinished state, especially on the PC, you would find uh, a significant difference in the percentage now versus what it was five years ago. I agree. I I, I think that the seventh console generation and the the sort of the discovery of what an internet enabled video game console could do. I think that changed how developers and publishers approached making video games in a really fundamental way that has, has not been wholly positive. There have been positive things that have come out of that, but certainly I, I, th- I think that a, a very big negative has been just the state of games that we see on release. Incidentally, that article from Kotaku was written by Luke Plunkett, and I, I have that now. I will include that in the show notes, if you guys would like to check that yeah, out. Yeah, Brent, I mean, I would say at this point, honestly, think about it. I, I, at this point, almost any, I mean, almost any, uh, and I'm trying to th- I'm thinking, as I'm saying this, I'm scrolling through my, my brain and thinking, what companies do I trust? Naughty Dog, I think. Um, mm. uh, but, but at this point, I, I, I am dubious that well, any release, I, it's about a 50-50 proposition to me. Yes, I, I, think, I think it is a 50-50 proposition as well, but I think that there... It, to me, it seems that a game that is released on a single console or a single platform, pardon me, tends to fare better than multi-platform Drive releases Club. do right now. Uh, well, yeah, there's always exceptions to the rule, but um, I, I feel like this is a problem that we see more in multi-platform releases, which is which is odd given the fact that all the major, th- like the three major platforms, now share an architecture. It, it, it seems as though. I mean, right, you would think it would have know, gotten we, better, we, not worse. Yeah, exactly. Like, like certainly, we had the expectation that that would make development easier, and and, and maybe that's not the case. Uh, it certainly seems like it's turning out to be that uh, that way. Um, let's let's move on uh, just a little bit. I want to talk about the role of Steam refunds in this this fiasco, and and I've certainly seen other people 
opining that the the one and only reason that this game was pulled uh, from from PC retailers was because of Steam refunds. Now, it, it wasn't only pulled from Steam, although uh, Green Man Gaming also uh, offered refunds on Arkham Knight as a result of the, the problems that uh, gamers were having. But I've seen a lot of people say that the reason that this unprecedented thing has happened is because Warner Brothers was looking down the barrel of losing their shirts on uh, the PC platform because people were going to rightfully so seek refunds for their uh, their broken copy of Arkham Knight on PC. Do you subscribe to that? Do you, do you think that that is in fact the case? Uh, you know, it's it's hard to for me to say from the outside, Brent, the difference here between. Uh, causation and correlation i mean and certainly i would think yeah. that there's a role in it um i can tell you that uh, even though i was getting i'm getting good performance although not the performance i would hope from a brand new 970 um mm-hmm. uh if this game had not been a gift and I, I would have returned it and i actually looked and tried uh to return it to get a PS4 copy of it. And you can't do that with gifts, uh, which I knew. I just thought there might be an exception for this game. Um, not the case. If, if I had purchased this, I absolutely would have returned it. Now, yeah. you know, one of the weird things about this, I think, uh, is also that of the people that return it, I wonder how, what percentage are going to purchase it on a different platform. Um, well, that, that, that would be me. I mean, if this were... If, if the game had not been gifted to me, number one, I would not have pre-ordered it, so I would have been looking to buy it, you know, on like release on day, release day right, yeah. or, or the day after, or or you know, like whenever, like later in the week, just depending on how the reviews and everything were shaping yep. up. Had I had I not been gifted this game, had it been me spending my money, uh, I would have gotten on PS4. Right, I think that's I think that's true for me too, Brent, and certainly I would have returned it at this point. But I do think I do think. Um, uh, uh, that's not to say again how grateful we both are for the gift, and I'm totally enjoying it on PC. I'm no, just, it, it is. Those are two completely separate yes. issues. I am immensely yes. grateful to have the game, and you're going to play the hell I'm out not, of it too. But I am. I, I'm totally going to play. The, I mean, like one of the reasons I'm not playing it is that I want to have. So, I want to have appreciation yes. for it when I do um, play it. I, I do think it has a significant amount to do with it, Brent. Though I mean, this is a. This is. I, I can only imagine. That pro- I mean, I, I would guess, and I'm just guessing, and we don't have figures, but I, I would guess that 85% of the people or more that bought this game on PC have probably returned it at this point. I would love to know. I, I really, really would love to know what the, what, what the, the, the turnover rate on now here's is. Now, here's what I want it, to... It's certain, like the zeitgeist certainly seems like it's overwhelming. Yes, and I, you know, certainly, here's what I want to know, is I want to know... So again, you know, it, it, it's video games are sort of a, a a bit of a fucked up thing, and that like there's only one Batman, right? I mean, there's only one Arkham yeah. game, and so people that want to play this game are going to seek out a way to play it, whether that means they buy it on the the PS4 uh, or or Xbox One, or whether they wait a month and then buy it again, and so. So Warner Brothers may not actually lose as much money as we think they might. However, if they just jump to another platform. Steam stands to lose a lot of money because right. they make money on the sales of these games. And if, if all of these people return it and then go buy it on the PS4, Warner Brothers, maybe not such a big hit. Steam, a very big hit. And so I'm curious to know what kind of power Steam is capable of exerting 
on game companies that are that are essentially costing Steam millions of dollars. I would imagine with, with broken well, something like I mean, I would imagine on this particular product that that Steam stands to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in in revenue. I- I, I would I would probably put the number higher. Yeah, than that, I mean yeah. That, that doesn't count the customer service. You know the amount of customer dollars spent on customer service yeah. to deal with this, and so they could lose hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars potentially. Uh, and I, I wonder if at some point Steam is going to say either either force them to re, like legally to reimburse them or say if, if if this doesn't change, we won't have your games on our service. We are the single largest digital distribution platform that there mm-hmm. is. I wonder also about Steam curating their content in the way that, say, maybe like Apple does. You mean testing uh, with their it? App Store, yeah. Where, where they they tech for you know they test for technical soundness. They they evaluate things you know based on you know something like, that the console manufacturers do. That yeah. I wonder also about Steam doing something like that. Like if if Steam would move to a model where. They're like, okay, you want to sell through the Steam platform? You got to send us the final code for your game, uh, you know, three, two, three weeks ahead of release, so that we can evaluate it and make sure that there's not going to be not going to be a surge of refunds over you putting out a broken game. I, I, I wonder about things yep. like that, or if Steam is going to want to be involved in the process of development, yeah, you know, like with certain like like certain companies, like let's say Ubisoft. Uh, or or Warner Brothers. I, I mean, let's face it. The last the last three Arkham games. I I don't remember how uh, Arkham Asylum did, but I know that Arkham City, Arkham Origins, and now Arkham Knight. They were all busted on PC at release, and uh, you know, eventually Arkham City got got fixed. And you know, by the time you and I played it on PC, it was great, hummed along really yep. well. I don't know what the state of Arkham Origin is right now, but in any case, I wonder about Steam. Telling Warner Brothers in the future, it's like, okay, you want to uh, you want to release on PC? We you know we got to see development builds of your game. You gotta you gotta prove to us that you're going to put out a game that is going to work for our customers. Because if you don't, then you're just wasting our time. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Brent. I mean, I think that that um, you know, again, there's 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 overhead associated with that, right? So yeah. I mean, and not insignificant overhead. I mean, if you're testing, uh, you know. What are the rules then for AAA versus AA versus indie? How many people it's, do they have to staff? Headache. It is. It's an absolutely. It's a huge yep. headache. And again, but I, that's the thing. Like if Steam wants to provide a really good service to their customers, and I, and I, I don't want to. I mean, honestly, you're right in that Steam could lose money. But in my opinion, the the refund thing ended up being very very timely in light of the Arkham Knight release. And I think that Steam comes out of this particular fiasco looking pretty good uh, because they're like, hey, this is exactly why we thought refunds were a good idea. This exact situation. Uh, and, and now I'm going to start a conspiracy theory and say Steam knew. Steam knew ahead of time that Arkham Knight was fucked up. And that was what led to the refund policy. I'll go one step further. I'm almost sure that Steam broke Arkham Knight, actually removed <laughs> pieces of the code. Specifically to highlight, specifically to justify how awesome their new refund policy was. So what you're saying, what you're saying is that Dick Cheney is running Steam. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, That's what you're saying. Now this is a the, you know of of all of the things we're talking about here, Brent. I think that I think that um, Steam adding uh, the uh, functionality of refunds is fantastic for consumers, and this is an excellent and couldn't be more timely example of why that's the case. I think pre-ordering is a hundred percent within our control and, and, and we have to stop doing it. And I say that knowing 
knowing that I have been guilty of it just in the last six weeks. And I, I have to tell you, as we as, as this has been unfolding, I, I, I uncharted. I uncharted. I pre-ordered the Uncharted <laughs> collection. Uh, and I feel like a bag of shit for doing it. And I, I can't I don't think I can't get a refund on the on the Sony store. Um, however, well, let's let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. OK, I just want to know. Why did why did you pre-order that game? What are you getting out of that pre-order that was so important to you? I'm getting absolutely nothing out of that pre-order. What what I the reason I pre-ordered it and again, I'm not I, I'm I'm ashamed. I, I am this is a safe space. I feel comfortable talking to just this close group of friends, but but I am uh, raw. Uh, the reason the reason that I did it was because uh, honestly I was I think I was watching some uncharted stuff and I kind of had this like who am I kidding who am I kidding that I'm not going to order this uh, right. uh, and even if it's not a great port just to be able to play it on my PS4 because currently I have no way to play any of the uncharted games um, I kind of had this like who am I kidding I'm just going to pre I have the money right now so I'm going to order it right now so I don't have to worry about it later so right. the benefit to me was ha- buy it while I have the money. So I don't have to think about it several months from now. Um, gotcha. It's like buying myself a birthday present. Um, <laughs> it's a lot like But uh, I have to tell you that in the light of all of this, and we've talked about this before, and I generally don't pre-order, and it was kind of one of those, like, who am I kidding things again? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I feel like an ass. But that's, so that's, that's 100% in our control, though. And we can all decide as a group moving forward. Uh, not to pre-order again, and I think if we can make, somehow make a movement or a not pre-order ticker on OGS, that would be on OGR. That would be fantastic. Um, OGS, excuse me. But the thing that worries me the most about all of this, Brent, and that, that is the thing that's out of ultimately out of our control, and that is uh, just the, the the frequency which with with which this is occurring uh, exponentially more and more every year. Yeah. I agree with you, and uh, I think that the, the the thing that gives me a bit of optimism about it is that it is not just it is not just us and the OGR audience and our little corner of the web that is talking about we got to stop pre-ordering games. It's it's making the industry worse, and we have control over that. We we can make a, a difference. It's not just us saying that. It's some it's some very high profile uh, commentators and journalists within the industry at some very major outlets saying the same thing, and if uh, if we stop pre-ordering games, it, it it's going to change. And the thing is that I I do think that we have to be, I think that we have to proselytize. Uh, I guess is ultimately what I'm saying. I think that we have to talk about this. We have to tell people why it's important to not pre-order because I think that there's a, there's a ton of consumers who are big fans of games, you know, people that I'm friends with that always give me the, the sideways puppy look when I talk about, you know, why I don't want to do business with GameStop. And, uh, you know, this is just, this is just yet another kind of reason because GameStop, admittedly, they're not the only ones, all retailers, uh, you know, have some some blame to share in creating this this sort of culture of pre-ordering, but certainly GameStop uh, has has really championed that and has driven that into like exclusive content for pre-ordering with them and retailer exclusive content that kind of thing. Uh, I don't like those practices, and 
you know, so I, you know, I don't, I don't get up in my friend's grill. I don't get angry at him, but I always, uh, I always just remind them that, uh, that there, there might be a cost associated with doing that. And so that's the thing is like, I think we as gamers, we got to have that conversation. We've got to talk about this. We got to keep talking about it. And I think that, I, I think that the case makes itself pretty well. I don't think that we really need to do a lot to convince people. I think just laying the facts out and letting people see what pre-ordering is doing to the games industry kind of speaks for itself. But we, you're right, Brent. We as individuals uh, can proselytize that that line of thinking in the hopes of spreading the gospel, uh, the gospel of not pre-ordering. And I, so I, to to take that to its what I think a natural conclusion, Brent. Are we in agreement then that? We are going to need uh, everybody who's a member of Outlaw Gamer Society. We're going to need your credit card information <laughs> and most of your gaming account information to do spot checks. Make sure. To ensure that you're not pre-ordering. And if you do pre-order in the future, uh, you will be drawn and quartered. <laughs> what? And clearly, we should have talked about this ahead of time because... Uh I just that seemed like the natural conclusion, Brent, from what you were saying. I, Am I no? Yes, yes. Am I misinterpreting it, it, your A plus B equals? <laughs> um, I think the last thing that we'll say here is, or the last thing that I'll say, uh, just to just to try to you know be somewhat fair about this, is that Warner Brothers has uh, said that the work has begun to fix the uh, the PC release that Rocksteady is working with the their partners. Presumably, these partners are the ones who initially worked on the PC release and fucked it up so terribly. Um, but Rocksteady and their partners are working on fixing the game that it will, quote, take some time because the work is significant. They've released a, a laundry list of things that they're going to be addressing as they move through this process. They're going to be putting out a, a series of interim patches. I, I think the first of those is already out. But they uh, they are, I guess, at least attempting to do some damage control on this as far as saying, okay, here's we're aware of the problem, we're working on it, here's the things we're going to be doing, and, and on and on and on. So for whatever it's worth to, to know that, I just want to put that out there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty demoralizing situation. I'm very disappointed because I was so looking forward to playing the game, and... I guess ultimately I've just kind of resigned myself to try to hold on to my hold on to my interest in playing the game by not playing it. I, I feel like if I feel as disappointed as I was over the delay and everything for this game and you know, like all that thing I went through with just, you know, kind of being over this game and then kind of getting excited about it again and now this. You know, it's just like like it's been such a fucking roller coaster with this game. And I just I don't have the energy for it anymore, and so I just kind of have to put it aside and move on to other things for now. Uh, or, or I guess I feel like I'll just never play it. Well, hopefully that won't be the case, Brent. We do want to hear from you guys and your thoughts as usual uh, on this subject matter. We'd like to hear from people uh, playing the PC version and what your experience has been if you have chosen to uh, seek out a refund and what you think about this in general and the state of the industry relative to this. Please let us know your thoughts in the comments, uh, and maybe we can start a Kickstarter for Brent to play the game. (laughs) Yes, pay me. Pay me to play this game. Ah, uh, if only I were a cute Swedish guy. Welcome back, guys. We're going to hit the road and talk about 
the games that we're playing this week, I will hand it over to Lauren first, who's going to share some thoughts on Batman Arkham Knight. Batman Arkham Knight. Yes, let's talk about it, Brent. So obviously, as we talked about in the previous section, I've been playing this game. Put about 10 hours into it on PC. I'm not going to talk about here the performance issues that I've been having. It's a personal thing. Um, but I will talk about the game. Again, this will be a spoiler-free conversation. I will no- do nothing uh, to allude to uh, anything that should should lead you down any direction with the story. Uh, I ask that everybody rem- re- uh, refrain from doing that as well in the comments. Please, please try and be cognizant of what you're writing. I've seen a couple comments on... Um, the website already that that I'm sure posters felt were benign when they put them up, uh, but they allude to things um, in the game that that people who want to remain pure are seeing. So please try and respect that. Um, here's what I have to say about the game, Brent. At this point, ten hours in, according to the percentage counter, I'm at about twenty five percent. You know that that uh, doesn't mean that that includes the game and the side mission. So I, I don't really know how yeah. far into the story I am. It's hard to tell with the side missions. Um, but here's what I have to say about the game. So the Batmobile is fun, uh, first of all, although the, that is where the performance issues do rear their head the most uh, and mm. make it the most challenging. So I think it will be uh, significantly more fun once uh, once I get the performance issues uh, sort of ironed out. But uh, it's well done. It's very well done in the game. I'm totally enjoying the Batmobile. Uh, I don't feel like it's being shoved down my throat too much overall. Um, most importantly, the transition between Batmobile and flight or uh, Batmobile and being on the ground, whatever, is, is quite well done. It, it's actually, you know, it made me think of like Red Dead Redemption and The Witcher when you're calling your horse and that mm-hmm. process of it, it coming to you. Um, and it sounds silly, but it's something that I'm sure required some attention in all of those games because you kind of want it to make sense, but you kind of want don't want to keep people waiting and, and uh, you want it to be smooth. It works really, really well in Batman, better than in both Red Dead and The Witcher. Um, I think, and that's nice. It's pretty cool. Um, overall, uh, the thing I am struggling the most with right now is the pacing of the game. Uh, and I think that's where, in comparison to, say, Witcher 3, Batman, at least for me right now, is lacking. Um, I feel like in the first even eight or nine hours, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in the first eight or nine hours, um, it's constantly throwing new stuff at me. And that sounds like a good thing, but I feel like, at least in my experience at this point, that it's creating, and I've used this word before, sort of a staccato experience. I feel like it's sort of cutting the melody and not allowing the game to flow in a way that I think The Witcher, um, and it's interesting to play these games uh, directly one right after the other in contrast, The Witcher has done, for the most part, so elegantly. Um, And I think Batman is struggling a little bit with that because they want you to do so much. Uh, so pacing has been right. a little bit of an issue for me. Um, in the context of that, there's this new like um, wheel. I think you've seen, have you seen the, the wheel where you're selecting your missions, Brent? No. So there's a, there's a new, um, there's a wheel in the game. I think you hold D pad, right? Uh, and a wheel comes up in the game and, and you get uh, access to any of your missions to track your missions. And it's actually uh, a very good interface for switching from one mission to the next. Like, oh, I want to do, there's different storylines. So I want to do this storyline that, and I'm going to totally make this up, but I want to do the storyline that focuses on um, 
being a mechanic and I want to do this other storyline that focuses on being a long haul trucker or whatever. You can switch back and forth between the main storyline and side missions that way, which is great. Um, however, um, there's a lot of side missions and they, they are, they're sort of introducing you to each one of those storylines throughout and it feels very frequent. It feels like it's pulling me away from the main story. Uh, because they want me to be very, they very much want me to be aware of all of my options. Um, right. And, and again, that plays into the pacing. So I'm struggling a little bit with that, but I'm kind of accepting that, that that's sort of the setting the game up. And I'm trying to stay focused on the story. Um, I've read a lot about how the story is very, very well done in this game. And so I, I want to, A, get through it before it gets spoiled for me. Uh, and B, I, I want, I want to, f- I remember when I played Arkham City, I got distracted and it kind of, I kind of never finished the game. And when I went back and played it and just focused on the story, it created a very meaningful experience. I feel like I'm having to do that, um, sort of despite the game's design. Whereas in right. The Witcher, I feel like they do a better job of moving you down that story, um, without you having to consciously focus on, on, on playing the story. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm curious about this wheel mechanic that you mentioned. Uh, in any way, does this does it give you any kind of indication of if you if you are, are working on the main story uh, and like it makes sense to do this side quest chain here in the main story, and it makes it makes sense to do this side quest chain. A little bit later. Um, no, not really. I mean, I have, that's not the experience I've had. Um, yeah. It, 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 you know, the one thing that's nice, and this is nice, is that they put the distance. So, so they put the distances right in the wheel uh, without you having to necessarily select it of your next objective in that storyline. So right. at any point, if I'm standing, there's, I think there's five boroughs in the game. I can't remember. But if I'm standing in a particular borough, and, yeah. um, and, and just to be clear, since you've mentioned them a few times in this podcast, I mean, borough is in the city of New York, not as in the animal with which you are willing to uh, request the Star Wars meets Uncharted game. But if you're standing in the middle of a particular geographic area and you pull up this wheel, you can look around the wheel and see, oh, that storyline has my next objective 800 meters away. That one has my next objective 400 meters away. Uh, gotcha. And so that's kind of nice because you could sort of geolocate just based on, you know, in Batman, it's very easy to, uh, this is the other thing that I'm really enjoying in this particular game, and we'll talk a little bit about it, is the locomotion. Uh, it's very easy to find yourself, you know, someplace you haven't been before geographically. And so it's nice to be able to go, okay, so instead of me wanting to just continue and fly all the way across the map just to do this storyline, yeah. what's around about, me? Yeah, well, what can I go ahead and knock out while I'm Right, here? and that's nice. And I'm also yeah. stumbling across stuff, um, like significant stuff in Batman. A couple of times I have stumbled... Uh, across, um, I guess it'd be almost akin to Stranger Missions, um, mm-hmm. where they weren't um, sh- sort of thrusted upon me because because Rocksteady wants me to know they're there, but I happened upon it geographically, and that's been a lot of fun. So um, I almost feel like it's been a uh, there was like it was like an eight hour tutorial level. <laughs> Which sounds odd. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and the other piece of that is, and, and this happens in every Batman, is the like slow reintroduction of gadgets. E- mm. Even gadgets that you, we've been using for three games now, yeah. like the decryptor. You don't get access to it fully until... Right, so at, at some then. point in the game yeah. or whatever, which at this point is just becoming... And I understand that you have to make this game for people that haven't played them before. 
But at some point, four games into the series, you're like, really? I got, I got, I can't decrypt that yet because why? I left, I accidentally left my decryptor at home after yeah. carrying it around with me for a hundred hours. Like that, kind, yeah. that's a little bit sort of annoying. But um, it, it'd be great if they found, <laughs> if they found some way to balance that to work better between new people coming into the series and and veterans of the series. Yeah, I mean they don't hold on to it for long, but um, but they do hold right. on to it. And it's kind of annoying. So. Uh, the the um, RPG tree aspect of it is is flushed out uh, as and the, again this is something you probably already know I would assume uh, is that there's an aspect of it for the Batmobile itself yeah. um, so that flushes it out but other than that it is deeper than it used to be but it's not so compellingly deep that I find it to be a, a revelation um, yeah. The locomotion in the game, believe it or not, is even better than it was before. Um, your ability to fly around the city, they've allowed you to um, uh, f- uh, c- uh, c- glide longer. Uh, when you do dive bombs and pull up, you can um, ascend higher. And therefore, it's really easy to... And, and you can also do like a, like when you grapple onto something and sort of speed up and launch off of a building or whatever, you go further uh, and so it's easier to gl- to fly across the city, and it's tons and tons of fun uh, to do. And and then of course the the cape and the water beating off of the cape and everything makes it even that much more awesome to do. So the locomotion is is improved in the game. The fighting, uh, likewise, uh, I, I feel like at this point is improved again. That it's a place where some of the performance issues can rear its ugly head. Uh, but things like, and again, this is this shouldn't be a spoiler to you. If it is, Brent, we'll cut it out of the show. But things like environmental takedowns, um, new moves, stuff like that. The whole co-op thing uh, flows and works really, really well. Um, so overall, I'm enjoying the game. Um, I haven't at this point had the sort of um, awe-inspiring moments that I have had, that I had with The Witcher Three. Um, but I'm also Sort of not. I, I'm early enough in the game that I feel like it's possible those moments will come. Um, lastly, I will say there have been a couple of those moments from a story standpoint, um, but I clearly I don't want to talk about them at all. Um, but the story uh, up to this point, um, there have been some some pretty cool moments, and so uh, so we'll see. I'll keep playing it. I, I intend to keep playing it. Right now, that's the world I'm in. So I've sort of put The Witcher down. Uh, and I intend to keep playing Batman over the next week or two. So I, I would imagine uh, when we talk a couple of weeks from now, I will I will have finished the game, I would think. Um, but we will see. Gotcha. There you go. Well, for my own part, uh, I've not been playing Arkham Knight. As I stated, I have been playing The Witcher 3. I've sort of uh, refocused, refocused on that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's paying off really, really well. I guess I don't have a lot to say about it because I'm just, I mean, I'm just playing the game. I'm, you know, sort of in the midst of it and all of that. So I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm kind of getting a handle on, on all the RPG aspects of it. I I find that, uh, the, the upgrade mechanics and everything in that game are, uh, they're, they're surprisingly deep actually how, how certain things work like, like mutagens and, uh, and all that. And so I've really been, focused uh, the last couple of days on you know going through that and like making sure like I really kind of understand how all that stuff works because I get the feeling that's going to be it's going to be very important in uh in times to come. Uh would you, Brent, do you know just out of curiosity any idea how many hours you have in the game? Hmm. 
Uh, no, it's probably not that many. I mean, I'm I'm guessing less than less than ten. Okay, so okay, because I just wanted to get a per, sort of perspective <laughs> on where you are. So you haven't. Uh, I, I feel like you have not sort of had that 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 moment where you went, oh my god, this is like Red Dead. No, I I really I've not had that moment yet, but it's it's just because I've been so uh I'm still sort of in that section of the game where most of what I'm doing is really being directed by the the story and everything. Um and I'm I'm not I'm trying to not really go into story details yeah, yeah. for those that don't want to hear them, yeah. but um I I'm not really at the point where I feel like I've got a lot of freedom, although I just was sort of handed, you know, the, I was just kind of handed like the assignment or whatever that is really, I think, you know, the backbone of the game story. It's like, well, under- I need you to do thus and such. And that's going to be like, you know, like, like the big kind of arc at under 10 yeah. hours. I mean, I think I was a good, I think I was almost nine hours, Brent, or eight, eight to nine hours in the sort of tutorial area. Right. Uh, like you talk about like in white orchard. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm past White Orchard now. Yeah, uh, you know, like, I, but I'm just past White. Right, Orchard. right. Okay, that's. I just wanted so, to get a perspective on sort of uh, from where you're speaking. You have you have quite yeah. a bit of, uh, and I'm I'm 35 hours into the game, and I probably have double that left. You know, um, right. But uh, I just want to get a sense of how far out of White Orchard you were. Um, so there's <laughs> so so good. I'm excited that you're playing it. I can't I cannot wait to continue to talk to you about this because there's so. There's so much Red Dead in this game, and so many things that like that I haven't even begun to just trip over and find. And there's a some, I posted a picture the other day of a storyline that must have been I'm, I'm I don't know three hours long or something, a hundred percent optional, but very central to the story. Um, and it was just a fantastic storyline, and I think I get the impression just that storyline could have ended two or three different ways and at three or four different points during the storyline. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, It's very, very cool. cool. It's very cool. So I'm, I'm continuing to play the Witcher. The, the thing about it is like, I have to admit, I was feeling a bit of a lull in the whole sort of like white orchard, which I would, you know, like white orchard is the McFarland's ranch of the Witcher three. And I was beginning to feel a little bit of a lull there. I was, I was beginning to feel like I'd really like to be done with this now. <laughs> Uh, and I'm I'm glad that I'm over it, and it's it's re-energized me a bit. Yep. Um, I tell you what, I've been playing a ton of also is Fallout Shelter on the iPad. Um, I've got something like 120 dwellers living in my Fallout Shelter now. Uh, I've <laughs> built I, I've built every I've built multiples of every room you can have, with the exception uh, being the uh, the Nuka Cola bottling room i haven't built one of those just yet because i don't really need one uh i i kind of like i'm i'm for, i'm focused more right now on power requirements uh generate generating electricity for the for the shelter and also i've got i've really i don't know like like my, my fallout shelter is turning into like a vocational academy very rapidly but um I've got a, the, the way that you can, there's two ways that you can get more dwellers in your fallout shelter. You can either put your dwellers together and see if they, they get together and make babies, or you can use a radio room to send out a broadcast into the wasteland and attract new dwellers. And the effectiveness of the radio room and attracting new dwellers is down to 
having people staffing your radio room that have a high charisma score, and that will increase the likelihood of, of this happening. And I've got a pretty good radio crew going because basically every time I go and pick up my iPad, there's a new dweller. And it's getting to the point where I'm like, maybe I need to cut the radio staff just a little bit because uh, <laughs> they're bringing in. So, I mean, I'm averaging probably like three, four new dwellers a day, you know? And so I got to like make room for these people. And so what I, what I started doing is I, you, you've got these training rooms that, you know, and you've got the special stats, uh, you know, for like uh, strength, perception, uh, what is, I can't remember the, I can't remember what the E stands for, you know, like energy, charisma, intelligence, agility, luck, uh, endurance, E is endurance. And there's these different training rooms that you can put into your, into your shelter that will train those stats. So if you got somebody that you really need them to be good in one of your electrical facilities, but they have a low strength stat, which the electrical facilities use the strength stat. If they have a low strength stat, well, you can send them to the weight room to train their strength stat up. And, you know, like going from strength stat one to two takes maybe 20 minutes. Going from two to three takes 45. By the time you're up to like five, six, you're talking like seven, eight hours to increase the stat one point. And... I have got something in the neighborhood of, I would say it's about 50. I've probably got a little less than half of my population doing this round robin through the training room. So like everybody that needs a strength stat raised a point, I send them into one of the two weight rooms that I've got because it's something like, it. I guess it's probably about eight eight or nine dwellers at any one time and a fully like a fully uh, done strength room is like only will hold six people at a time. So you got to have multiples. And so same thing for the charisma stat, same thing for the endurance stat and on and on and on. So like for every one of those stats, uh, I've got like two rooms set up and I just round robin through them like several times a day. And like it's amazing that that has become like that has become like the chief focus of my gameplay right now is just like managing all this and like at the end of it I'm going to have like 50 people that have like maxed out stats and then I'm just going to like unload them on my base and I don't know then like I, and then I will win or something. I, I don't know what my expectation is of the end game for this but for right now I find it interesting and it's keeping me satisfied. And in addition to the fact that I'm also sending out, uh, I'm also sending out like multiple parties into the wasteland to gather resources and things like that, Mm -hmm. which I find pretty cool. Um, I've spent my first money in the game. Uh, Last week, I bought a five pack of lunch boxes, which was four dollars, and uh, and I did it basically because I was like. I love this game. I'm playing this constantly and I would just, I would like to support the game financially, let the developer know that I think they're doing a terrific job and, and I want to see more content for the game. So I spent some money for it and I was very happy to do so. So I'm curious. I think the thing that has me, my interest peaked the most Brent, uh, mm-hmm. other than finding out when the damn Android version of this comes out. Right. Uh, does this, does playing this game make you want to get fallout Four more? You know, it kind of does. Um, 
I know that the gameplay in Fallout 4 is going to be very different. Obviously, from this. right. Uh, but Although I would be curious to see at this point, honestly, if they figure out how to, a way to work this game as a mini game into, into Fallout. Fallout 4. But anyway, mm. I'm curious if this is, uh, if you feel like this is an, like just as a, a strictly as a marketing tool, just to get people hyped to play, to get people in that world, wanting to recognize those icons, branding those yeah. icons to people. I have to say that I think it's working on me because just the the whole sort of sensibility of the game and the sense of humor and everything that it has yep. is really endearing. I, I mean, one of the one of the neat things about the game is if you zoom in, uh, like right down to like like the room view, where the only thing you can see is a section of one room, and you can kind of pan across it. And at that point, the characters are fairly large in screen, and they'll have dialogue. That'll just come up over their heads as though they're talking to each other. And some of the conversations are really, really funny. And like, you know, like one of the conversations that you'll see is, hey, who would win in a fight? A lumberjack with tentacles for arms or a shark riding a unicycle? <laughs> and, and, and somebody will say, well, why do they have to fight? Like, why couldn't they just be friends and go have a beer or something like that? And then the other day, I zoomed in on a room for something and I just caught like a response to that conversation I'd never seen before. And it was somebody saying, I don't know. Lumberjacks are pretty tough or something like that. You know? And I was like, ah, oh, you know, like I, I missed the, I missed the first half. Right, of this or whatever. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I was interested in fallout four after the Bethesda press conference, but I have to say that playing this game does, it just makes me think it makes it more present in my mind, I suppose. It just makes me think about, you know, will the, the kind of the sense of humor and the depth of gameplay, although different, will it be as deep and satisfying as as uh, it's been in Fallout Shelter, which is a, a surprisingly deep game? Yeah, they they are. Bethesda is saying like they're blown away by the reception to it. It's been incredible. It was number one in something like fifty countries, and yeah, uh, I can only imagine they've made money uh, a tremendous amount of money off of it. But um, Good for them. but e- even without that money, I mean, you said you could you could absolutely you gave them money because you wanted to support them and for no other reason. That's it. I, I mean, there, there's no reason to there's no reason to spend money in the game from a gameplay perspective. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, other than just oh, I want like ooh, I want to buy a bunch of lunchboxes and maybe I'll get cool weapons. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. And that's, that's uh, I can't wait to play it, man. I really cannot wait to play it. Maybe it will be that elusive. Mo- I th- I will that elusive mobile game that will grab me that you will actually like. Well, hopefully uh, you'll be able to find out at some point. Indeed. All right, Brent. I think it's time for us to exit the road and move into the sunset. Let's do this. All right. So my uh, my Into the Sunset is another hearkening back to E3 this year. Uh, it is a game we talked about last week. My Into the Sunset was about the game Unravel. This week, it's going to be about Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about it. We, talked, we, we sort of talked about it briefly uh, in our E3 specials, Brent. But I really uh, I went back and watched the trailer again and have done a little reading on the game. And I'm very cautiously excited about this game. And I, and I say cautiously, and, and this saddens me, Brent, and it kind of goes to our topic of the week, that uh, I am gravely concerned about the quality of this game strictly based on the fact that it's, and this is not meant to be a joke, that, that it's coming from Ubisoft. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know you're you're struggling not to laugh, but it's it's uh, it's what I'm saying is genuine. I, I mean, I, I think a little bit. Ubi has been. Uh, I think Ubi has a shitty track record at this point, honestly. And in uh, the far last two Far Cry games were great, um, but there's been many other games in the Assassin's Creed series, Watch Dogs, uh, The Crew, that have come out and been uh, a poor quality performance wise or poor quality design wise. And uh, I think what we've seen with Tom Clancy's uh, The Division is another indicator of uh, what I think is going to be a foible from them. And so uh, the, just the fact that Ubisoft is attached to this is concerning to me. However, with that caveat, Brent, uh, I rewatched the trailer a couple times and did some reading, and it looks absolutely fantastic. I love the Ghost Recon series. Uh, I, I like uh, the direction that it's taking moving forward. And I'm really, really excited to see more about this game. Uh, I agree with you. I love the premise of the game. I, I really like what is being proposed as, as you know, as far as this kind of open-ended gameplay. I, I love the idea of that, and I would love to see a well-executed game that employs that. So, uh, fingers crossed. But I, 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 I think your reservations are very well-founded. Uh, for my own part, I'm also kind of hearkening back to E3 with my end of the sunset item. And that is a piece from Engadget, written by Timothy J. Sapala, who was talking about the half-moon controllers, the, the, the touch controllers that Oculus showed off. I say touch controllers. The, the controllers, the, the virtual controllers that Oculus showed off at their press conference just before E3. The title of the article is, At E3, I Saw the Missing Pieces of the VR Puzzle. And he talks about getting some hands-on time with the controllers, using them. He talks uh, quite a bit about playing the Insomniac Games VR title that Oculus showed there in their press conference, Edge of Nowhere, which both you and I commented, oh, this really looks like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. And, and he says, it's a lot like playing H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness. We're like, no, really? But anyway, he talks a lot about that game, which I- I'm excited about, and what he talks about experiencing in the game is very, very promising. So getting a little bit of more information on that is nice, but talking about using the controllers and how it really does create this seamless experience in VR, being able to look down at his hands in VR and, and really feel like they were his hands and having that feeling as though you can reach out and touch things, reach out and grab things, reach out and really interact with the environment in in a profound way was very, very exciting because I've, I've often felt that that was something that was going to have to happen. Like we were going to have to have that quality if VR was really going to succeed on any level. And it seems like Oculus, I I don't think that this is the final version of these controllers. I think it's going to change. They're going to continue to iterate just as they did with the development kit, probably not as much as with the development kit, given the fact that they're committed to a release date less than a year out. But I think they're going to continue to refine these things. And when they come out, I'm hoping that I'm going to have that same experience. I'm hoping that I'm going to have the experience of using an Oculus Rift with these controllers and say, yes, this, this is it. This is what VR version 1.0 really is defined by is this immersive experience where you can see and and interact with with your hands the way you're used to interacting with the real world in the virtual world so it was it was really exciting to read his reaction to that it was one of the things i really wanted to get on the other side of e3 i wanted to know more about that and get a first-hand account 
and it was a good write-up. So I would encourage you to go and read that if you're interested in uh, seeing what he had to say about Oculus's solution to VR controlling. Excellent. I will absolutely read that myself, Brent. As you know, I'm mildly obsessed with the reality that is virtual. I have heard that. And with that, we will wrap it up for this week. Remember, we're not doing a show next week. I just want to remind everybody. As usual, we want to hear everything that you guys think about what we talked about on this week's show, including the missing pieces of the VR puzzle, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, Wildlands Reveal Trailer, Fallout Shelter, The Witcher 3, Batman Arkham Knight, The Game, and up in the clubhouse, Batman Arkham Knight, The Fuck Up. Uh, and then what we talked about up in the garage, visceral Star Wars game, and the fact that it might be a peanut butter and chocolate that is Uncharted meets Project 1313. Uh, Mafia 3, Uncharted 4 extended gameplay, which is going to be coming out July 1st. And of course, Kung Fury. Let us know your thoughts on that. And everything else that is gaming, we are grateful to be here for you. As usual, he is Brent Adams. I am Lauren Baumgarten. And remember, you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. <laughs> <laughs>